Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. that a few times. I've got a, a brief yet very, very insightful message I want to share with you, and I hope that, uh, hope that it's a blessing for you completely. I got a, um, just in, in the spirit of that, our little uh, cartoon there, um, I had a, a health food store send me a, um, a little spam on my computer asking if I'd like to buy some deodorant that smelt like Christmas. And I wondered, like, what? so what does Christmas smell like? And so, so, you know, it's kind of pine trees maybe, or, or maybe turkey. I don't know what Christmas smells like. I, don't, I didn't know if I wanted to be smelling like, uh, you know, I, with the deodorant and stuff. But I did think of, as I read through this story, and I read through it a couple of dozen times at Christmas time to remind me of some key points about what Christmas was about, and probably a Christmas smell from Jesus' perspective would have been nothing like turkey or pine trees. He would have been in a grotto, likely, and it would have smelled very, very um, animalish. I want to take my talk tonight um, from Matthew chapter 2, and um, we've been sharing these thoughts for the last couple of weeks here at church, and I want to just read about... um, this interesting time when the Magi visited the, um, the Savior. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, about what time? Well, about the time he was born. Not specifically, but about that time, some wise men, or Magi, came from eastern lands and arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose, and we've come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem, and he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. Where did the prophets say the Messiah would be born? In Bethlehem. They said, for this is what the prophet wrote in Bethlehem of Judea. You are not just a lowly village in Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod sent a private message to the wise men asking them to come see him. And at this meeting, he learned the exact time when they, saw, when they first saw the star, not currently, but when they first saw it. Uh, then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After the interview, the wise men went their way. And once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Moving star stops. Amazing. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, and they entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, no Joseph, and they fell down, just like we sang, they fell down, I love this, they fell down before him and worshipped him. These these would be card-carrying pagans. They worshipped and then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they went home another way, excuse me, because 
God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Can I just have a Kleenex to you? Sometimes when I sing that, that song, and then I, you know, and then, mm, and then, so just excuse me, just a nano, nanosecond, being polite. Okay, all better. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's what I wanted to talk about tonight, because I think it's really important. Matthew, is, uh, was the, this, uh, Matthew wrote the book, his, this book, uh, to confirm that Christ was the king. Yeah, the Magi would have been a lot like, um, like they said, they would have been these, these um, or, oriental, sorry, they would come from Iran. Um, but they were outside of the lineage of the, the, the chosen people. So this is intriguing why Matthew would include the Magi in his story. This is very intriguing to me. And here's my hunch. This would be Lornology, not theology. But I think it's because it's a, they, they relate to and refer to people like you and I. We're, not many of us here likely have Jewish origin, but something happens when we come to Christ. There's no longer being, being part of that nationality is important anymore. And so, so I think that they remind us, that the Magi remind us of you and I. Um, Matthew gives more square inches to the Magi than the shepherds or Mary or the manger. And I think that's important for us to notice tonight, specifically. They're a pattern, I believe, of you and I. And there was three things that were intriguing about them. One, they were on a search, and we're all on a search. The other thing is they followed, and we're all following. And then the other thing was they did was they worshipped, and we all worship. Help me for these next few moments, maybe humor me, as I try and help make this personal to you. What are you searching for this season? And some of you, we reach for things that we think will satisfy deep desires within us. We all follow. You're all following something. I don't, I don't mean, you know, on Facebook or Instagram. We're all followers. A couple of years ago, my nephew asked if he could borrow a sweater for an ugly um, sweater contest. Um, I gave him one that I use, and he won. <laughs> Maybe some of you follow fashion, like me. And I went, I went to Value Village two months ago to find an ugly sweater. But when I looked at them, I go, gosh, the people are going to, all the hipsters are going to think, this is a cool sweater. I can't buy that. That's not ugly. We follow fashion. And we follow tastes and we follow trends and we're all, we all have in many ways, we all follow, we all search. And now I just want to talk about the thing is that we all worship. Um, here, here, I, think this is a, I think this is a big issue. Because in fact, I believe that we can trace all suffering, all evil, all brokenness, and yes, all pain as the after effects that can be traced biblically to a moment in cosmic history over the issue of worship. I was doing a devotional with my grandkids last week, reading through this story, and I asked them, what's the difference between singing and worship? Because actually I'm, I was like, like, what is the difference? <laughs> this was interesting to me. And one of the little fellas said, and I quote, he said, well, worship is prayer in your singing voice. 
Now that's officially in my book of quotes now. I think that's phenomenal. Worship. I think it's a, I think it's a game changer. Many sing along to songs. You know your favorite top 40. You're, you sing along, right? Some of you sing along to Pink, Vampire Weekend, Chainsmokers. I'm not making this up. I checked the top 40. <laughs> Many of you do. Um, Chance the Rapper. All right. And, and when they, and I, watch, I watch when people are at concerts, and when, they, when they're singing along with them, they'll often even raise their hands. So what's the difference between singing along to Madonna, lifting your hands, and worship? Well, let me ask you another question. What's the difference between baptism and just having a bath? What's the difference between just talking and prayer? There's a huge difference. Significant difference. When you hum Christmas carols, is there any difference than when you hum the top 40? When you find Christ, only when you find Christ can you truly worship because we're born to worship, we're hardwired to worship, each one of us. The question is not whether we worship because we all will. All of us do all of the time. The question is who and what will we worship? We either worship God with a capital G or lowercase g. One will lead to incredible fulfillment and the other will become a disappointing little God to yourself and the few who worship you. Um, I, worship comes from a word, an English word, which means to ascribe worth to something or someone. Worship, to ascribe worth to something or someone. I can identify with that. In the 60s, when I was seven-ish, I had a deep desire for a red rider Daisy air rifle. Um, I think I even have a picture of the advertisement. Went something like this here. That, that, that's a real Red Rider right there. The Red Rider. Get your own man-sized Daisy Air Rifle and get in with the crowd. It's so, in the 60s, moms would give kids guns. I think that was awesome. <laughs> and then you could get one, like you could pick one out for each of the family members there too. This is the 60s. We, made, we lived through it. It's okay. Um, now, I wouldn't say specifically that I worshipped the Red Rider, not specifically, but I did keep it quite close to my bed. I would oil it, sometimes give it a little hug, a little kiss, because I ascribed worth to my Red Rider. What holds a special place for you? Because the fact is there's lots of imposters to give your attention to, your energy to, and even your passion to. And when we do, we expect something in satisfaction or fulfillment in return. In summary, any time we look to or trust an activity or an object to provide meaning, we worship. The issue was not is when we make good things ultimate things. Things that we set ourselves up for then is disappointment when we worship good things instead of ultimate things. Are you counting on your family to provide fulfillment and satisfaction for you? 
And what do you do when they don't? Are you expecting your body to provide fulfillment and satisfaction? And every year, mine's getting less and less satisfying. What about your marriage? Good thing. But is it the ultimate thing to provide satisfaction and fulfillment? What about your retirement? Or what about your job? Or what about your education? What are you depending on or trusting to give you meaning in life? Herod, the imposter, says to the Magi, he said, when you find him, I would like to, you come and tell me because I want to go worship him. Herod wouldn't worship because pride cannot worship. He shares the same chapter with the Magi, but a very different heart. Even though he stated, come and tell me where this king is so I can come and worship him too. On the inside, he really had no interest in worship whatsoever. His heart would not allow anyone else to have access to that place within us, that throne, because he was worshiping one thing, and that was himself. In fact, it says in history that when he died, he made a command, he made a a law that there would be people, whoever was in the hippodrome at that time would be slaughtered, so at least someone would be mourning when he passed. Herod. Herod is in the same chapter here. The Magi traveled a long distance, and it probably took somewhere around two years in their journey. Herod was not even willing to take the five-mile trip over to Bethlehem from Jerusalem. The Magi got to meet Jesus. Herod tried to kill him. These were very different people. And I love, I don't know if you notice this, but when I read through it, he says, then he said, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. He couldn't bring himself to put in the term king in there. This newborn king. No, no, just the child. It's quite a thing. He knew enough that the stars in Scripture had forecast him, but only used that knowledge to carry out infanticide at that time. Do you know there's quite a difference between believing and obeying. They're not synonymous. You can believe something. Some of you may have a great belief in Christ as a Savior. The question is, are you obeying him? Lots of people, Satan believes in Jesus. He's not a follower. I don't know if you knew that. Not a fan. Big difference between believing and obeying. Huge difference between worship. If you think love is blind, I promise you that pride is blinder, if that's a word. Herod's pride was hurt, and it continued to hurt a lot of people. I wonder tonight how many broken hearts could trace these wounds or their wounds of their heart to someone's stubborn self-importance. Pride hurts. Is it any question that then in Scripture it says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble? Pride is unable to worship the Christ. Only the humble are able to worship. He doesn't oppose the person. He opposes the attitude of pride in the person. God's for you. Only the humble can truly worship the newborn king. Pride can only worship self. My last point Uh, And I think this is revolutionary for me. 
Um, I want to reference the book of Habakkuk. It sounds like you're clearing your throat when you say it. It almost sounds Ukrainian. Habakkuk, Chuck. He's a minor prophet of the Old Testament, the fifth last in the Old Testament. Um, rarely is this ever used as a Christmas text. Just hang with me. I want to take you through the entire book in four and a half minutes. There's three chapters. It's fascinating. There's three chapters. It begins with, maybe like you and I are, it begins with a complaint. And you wonder, he's wondering, God, why aren't you doing something about this? Why aren't you even listening to me? Hello. And the first chapter, <clears throat> he offers a complaint. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he's given a reply. God replies. And then he's, he gives another complaint. And then God replies. And then chapter 3, he worships. This is, a, this is honestly a very riveting passage because chapter 3 of Habakkuk is the highest form of worship that's known to man. This little-known prophet of faith, he has questions like you and I do. And he has complaints like you and I do. But he looked at his circumstances and he looked around him and he looked at his world and he was confused. Maybe you're doing the same tonight. He, he starts off, you know, this is a message that the prophet Habakkuk received from the Lord in a vision. So he was going to see what he, going to see what the Lord is going to say. His message was a vision. And he ended up with a vision for his life. When God speaks, he often speaks in pictures. Spoke to a picture, in a picture to Habakkuk. And then he spoke. It's fascinating what was taking place at the time. When you look at 605 BC, you'll see that. There was world powers were fighting. Egypt and Babylon were contending for power. Likely this was taking place at Carchemish. King Josiah had just been killed. And the big pet question was, why should a wicked nation uh, conquer a less wicked nation? That was one of his questions. And so in chapter 1 we see he's complaining and then the Lord answers him. And then in chapter 2 you'll see a passage that was referred to three other times in the New Testament. And, and it gave one young man a vision for his life. This young German monk was crawling up the steps of Scala Sancta, and he jumps to his feet, and he launches into a great crusade known as the Reformation, when it says, Can the, will the just live by faith? That's found in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Of, of course, three other places in the New Testament. Got a vision for his life. But when you read through Habakkuk and you get through the complaints and then he listened for the answers, and maybe tonight you just have complaints, you don't have answers yet. But he comes to this, and in chapter 3, this prayer was sung by the prophet. Uh, what's worship? It's kind of like prayer in your singing voice. When you read chapter 3 of Habakkuk, you'll be gripped by how he didn't let his circumstances keep him from worshiping. And towards the end, you come to these two words, and this is where a high form of worship, and this applies to me very often. He comes to the end, 
And he says in verse 17, but even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there's no grapes in the vine, and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty, even though the flock dies in the field and the cattle barns are empty, even though things aren't going like I hoped this year, even though things aren't quite as smooth, even though my marriage isn't working like I hoped and the price of oil isn't where it should be, even though yet will I praise him. That's a high form of worship. It's outside. It transcends your current circumstances. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. If you have a though and a yet, you probably are worshiping. I don't think it's wrong to state your situation and your facts. But I don't think we need to live there. Faith does not deny problems of existence. It denies them a place of influence in our lives. Imagine the scene. Because sometimes we think that worship depends on how we feel. Just imagine the scene. The Magi, they've been traveling for a long time. They probably could be a bit tired. But they get to the house. They come to the house of Jesus, uh, where Jesus is. What a scene. In spite of how tired they were, and maybe I don't know what you were expecting from last year or what you've been expecting from your different prayers. I'm not sure what you're expecting. But when they finally got to the place where Jesus was, when they finally got to this place, and they probably would have thought, what, is this it? There was a child who couldn't respond to their worship, by the way. But even though this, this stunning phrase, it says, and they entered the house where the child and his mother were, uh, no, no, no little, or donkeys. It says they entered the house where his mother, Mary, was, and, they, and here's what they did. They fell down before him and worshipped. They fell down. Even though tired, I don't know what's next, came a long ways. And how did, how, what was part of their worship? They took they didn't take a little, a nice little package with a little bow on top. They took their chests of gold because Jesus is about to enter a, a, now a couple of years of homelessness where he would be a refugee in Egypt. And I don't know what you're wondering about or how you're going to be provided for next year or not, but I'm going to tell you this, that if you can find a private place of worship, and even though something's like this, yet will I praise him because he will provide for me because the just live by faith. We thrive on faith. We get a, we, it just gets stuff boiling up with inside us. It doesn't look at what we're currently at. It looks at where we're about to get to. Let 28 be the year of high praise in spite of your circumstance and great and miraculous provision for you all. Amen. I'm not really that impressed with people who do things for me who get a benefit back. Wasn't that car salesman nice? Well, he better have been or I wouldn't buy a car from him. Well, wasn't that waiter ever polite? Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't, he wouldn't get a tip. Boy, I've got this. These are my employees. They're so nice to me. Yeah, if not, they wouldn't have a job. I'm not that impressed with people who do things for me so that they can get something from me. But I'm pretty impressed with someone who has nothing to gain and yet, out of the goodness of their heart, they do something. Jesus didn't give them gifts. That's when the gospel gets inverted. We expect him to worship us and bring gifts to us and believe in us. It's amazing. 
Worship reveals what's at the center. Worship really reveals at the center. You know that beautiful car you got? Good thing. What happens when it gets a little ding in the door? Touch. Just what does it take? Here's, 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 the, here's the extent of my math. Without a center, there's no circumference. What's at your center? I think that all identity issues are about worship. In a moment, we're going to worship. What's it take? Does it take a bank, a little ding in your bank balance to throw you off? Does it take a little ding in the body to throw you off? Tonight we're going to light some candles. Just a moment. In just a moment. And I want to let faith for this next season rise up within your heart as we light the candles. I want you to get your candle ready. And I want it to be more than just lighting a candle because... Do you want to know what happens in worship? During the act of worship, something happens inside the worshiper. This is, we're just going to light a candle. But something can happen in your heart when you light that candle. And you can say, Lord, even though this year has been tough, I'm still going to praise you. Or you might go like this. I've never really been sure if you're the savior of the world or not. But tonight when I light this candle, I'm going to make a declaration that I want your light in my life. Uh, at the end of our service, we'll have people who will pray for you if you're going through a season of loneliness or depression or discouragement. We'll pray for you. If you'd like to accept Christ as Savior, we'll pray with you. But here we're going to just do a little number, and as they're doing a number, we're going to pass out the fire. <laughs> Fire's going to go down the aisle. Lord, let, the, let it burn. Extinguishers, we got extinguishers around. Uh, so, so we're going to light the aisles and then you're going to pass your fire to the person beside you. And I think it would be good for us to say little prayers. God light the fire within them this year too. Let my, let my little bit, let this little light of mine, let it shine in others. So just take a moment as you light the candles and then we'll sing together. And my wife and I will be glad to pray for you. Amen. Okay, all right. We're, gonna, we're just going to ask you all to stand right now. We're going to sing together. And in this process of, um, of singing, um, let it become worship. Let it become a, an acknowledgement within your heart that you need an outside source of help. We need God in our lives. That's why Jesus came. 
so he could not just help us, but so he could live through us. So let's like this, just part of bringing some hope and faith back into our worlds and break holds of oppression and darkness in Jesus' name. Father, as we sing, thank you if you just received this worship now. Next week, there's just one service, yeah, on Sunday morning. It's at 9.30 in the morning. But you know what's really important right now is just that Christ could become real to you. 
and in your situation that he could light some darkness. Only God knows what's going on in your world. So Father, tonight as we choose to light this simple candle, we make a declaration, Lord, that not only has your light come to the world, but it's come to our hearts. And we allow you access to that very personal, private place within us. Lord, we put the busyness and the activity, the discouragements behind us of 2017. Some of the diseases and some of the disasters, we acknowledge them, but still in our hearts, we say today that you've got a brighter future ahead. So I declare 2018 over everyone that's here to be a year of great health, great relationships, and great provision that all bondages and all oppressions and all addictions be broken in Jesus' name because your light has come and we welcome it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, everybody. Thank you for spending this last hour together with us. From our home to yours, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. Uh, blow out the light, but keep it glowing in your hearts. God bless you. We'll see you again next year. Amen.